It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 615. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me I have my favorite co-host, Corey Romero. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. Corey, how you doing? Doing well, Eric. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's beautiful weather here in the Bay Area. Nice and warm. Color of the Bay is a nice, just solid green, not too windy. You know, just a typical four feet uh, deep green bay, as we say. On the show today, we're going to be talking to Vittorio Varengo. I don't know how to say his last name, but we'll just do that. He's here with us. We're going to be talking about multi-cloud and super cloud. Um, Victoria has been doing some really cool events. Uh, I know a lot of you have seen the videos that are out there uh, where they're talking about multi-cloud and I think they're going to be working with John Furrier and the cloud, uh, the the cube. We're going to have him on next week or the week after next to talk about the super cloud event that Victoria and many other industry leaders are going to be there. So we got Victoria here today. Victoria, we'll get to you in a second. Before we do that, let's just do a couple shout outs to the news. Uh, Schedule Builder is open. Go get registered for VMware Explorer. Um, We have the code sessions uh, that we're going to be running with the Intel Nooks for your home lab and smart sensors. We got uh, Bill Roth doing the uh, Tanzu on the Intel Nooks as well. So uh, go check out those code 2769 and code 2770, the session IDs. The code 2769 with the smart sensors for home has been sold out since about day two. I am going to be going in and putting in extra extra seats in there. Um, I will do that uh, next Wednesday. So if you're listening to this, you can go into Schedule Builder if you want to pick up those extra seats. I think I'm going to be adding an extra 100 seats to those labs because they are sold out. Um, Europe, November 7th through the 10th. You can register for that as well. And U.S. 29th through the 1st. That's the news. Corey, anything on VExperts or are we good to go over and chat with Vittorio? I've got a handful of things on VExperts. Let me go over it real quick. So VExpert call for blogs on VMware Explorer went out. Um, We received 10 articles so far. We're going to start promoting those this week up until the shows. Um, VMware Explorer U.S. blogger passes have been passed out. Um, I do have a couple passes left. If you're a blogger and you're interested, please email me, C-R-O-M-E-R-O at VMware.com, and uh, let's talk blogger passes. Um, We are going to have a BAP, which is Blogger Early Access Program meetings with the VMware comms team. Uh, Those will happen just prior, just a handful of days before the U.S. show and before the Europe show. Um, So, And that that happens for just a a handful. I think it's 15. 20 V experts. Um, so we'll notify those the uh, experts as we get closer. Uh, we are having also a blogger meetup at VMware Explore US and Europe. Uh, more details to that uh, to come, but you will be able to meet um, some of the key VMware influencers in person at both shows. 
Um, I'm also going to be doing a VMware or a session at VMware Explore US and Europe on the vExpert program and how to become a vExpert. So uh, stay tuned to those. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. And uh, we did order the nooks for all the experts that signed up on the expert app. So if you did sign up uh, and you don't come to explore to get your your nook, uh, we are going to give it away to somebody else. Right. Uh, so so make sure a lot of you signed up. I think we had 380, 400 uh, experts signed up to come to VMworld. Sorry, VMware Explorer uh, US uh, in San Francisco. So make sure you attend and make sure you come down to the booth and say hello to us and pick up your nook and then come by the lab. We're gonna be giving away free sensors. Um, I've ordered like a thousand sensors for uh, your home nook environment. So you can come pick that up and, uh, and have some fun while you're at VMware. And shout out to NetApp um, for, for helping us fund these Intel NICs. Um, Net, NetApp uh, had, had put in some money uh, towards these. Um, so shout out to NetApp and uh, thank you. Yeah, and then we had somebody else internal also give us some money for that as well. So who do we yeah, the VMware, um, the VMware vExpert Avi uh, program. So Pam Pam and Steve who run that um, helped, you know, helped fund that as well. Fund so, that as well. So shout out to absolutely. NetApp and Avi. To, yes. for, for that help as well. All right, let's get to uh, Vittorio. I know you got a half an hour and then we're going to have also um, Pam uh, come talk to us as well and uh, give us some insight on what's happening in multi-cloud for Explore. So Vittorio, we always start with uh, do the two-minute two elevator pitch. Uh, how long have you been in the VMware IT industry ecosystem? What's your career arc look like in a couple of minutes? Yeah, so I'm a software engineer by trade. I did a startup in Italy, and I'm not just speaking the accent. I'm actually from Italy. And then I sold it to an American company, long story short. I joined VMware in 2009. I was here for four years running product management for end user computing. And then uh, I did a couple of startups, uh, namely um, Mobile Iron and Sky High. And then I came back to VMware two or three years ago to help uh, Ragu and the team uh, reposition the company in the cloud. So that's, uh, that's uh, nice. my yeah, story. So I, sure. I went from being an engineer to, you know, working with engineers, kind of guide them to what to build in product management. And now I'm just uh, choose color for pretty slides. So we did have Laura Heisman on last week. And in her background, I think she had some uh, musical history as well. I think she got a music degree from university. And I see a lot of uh, guitars in your background. And we, we discussed last week how so many of us in IT have musical backgrounds of one type or another. And then we just noticed that if you're watching this on VBarbecue, uh, on youtube.com slash VBarbecue, you'll see him, Vittorio, live with guitars, piano. You got a whole music set in the background there. Yeah, I'm also a, a, a certified music teacher, but I never, but I, I um, study the clarinet. And so that clarinet is not very conducive to performance or cool stuff. And so. Over the years, I've taught myself all the instruments, which I use today is mostly to do uh, high-tech parodies, like uh, the multi-cloud um, uh, rock anthem, which right. is out there, uh, and things like that. But no, well, on a serious note, there are two things that I think <clears throat> are interesting about music and, so and software and engineering. I think it's music at the core is numbers. It's all about numbers. Now, then you put the interpretation and the feeling on top of it, but at the very basic, both the harmony, the harmonies, the way the notes uh, work with each other, whether or not it's all math, and then the rhythm, it's all clearly, it's all math. 
So that's one aspect that I think ties together engineers and people that are technically inclined in music. I think the, the, the thing that um, I really love about music that has um, that gives you a bunch of uh, teaching for life is that music and sports really teach you the value of deliberate practice. If you don't know how to do something and you practice mm-hmm. uh, long enough, you're going to learn. And so that's why I'm so hooked to music and try to inspire my kids to be as well. I think there's a third thing that I always feel about music is it's all in your head and software. A lot of times you have to have this stuff in your head as you're, you know, you know, architecting or figuring things out. It's a very mental process, right? So absolutely. I I think that there's nothing like having something in your head and then through software, you make it. Yeah. You turn it into something. something. And music is the same. It's something in your head. If you're good enough, then you can turn it into music. All right. Well, let's get on to the conversation today. You know, we know about multi-cloud. We saw your multi-cloud events. And by the way, congratulations on the latest one. I heard the numbers uh, that you guys had on the views on your multi-cloud event. We do them every quarter. We talk about him here on the show. We give you guys a shout out. Uh, But the last one you did was really good. And I heard the numbers were like really well on the number of views on the on the shows. Yeah, I think it's a combination of us uh, learning how to reach the audience and also having topics that uh, people care about, right? So when we we just did one uh, for the uh, vSphere Plus launch, that got uh, 5 million views and half a million people watched the entire thing. And so that is a testament to the fact that there's such a thirst for information about our heritage product, right? vSphere and vSAN and all that good stuff. And then we did one on security that has uh, now at 4.3 million views, uh, which is phenomenal. Again, That's a huge number. That's a huge number compared to like our typical videos do like 10,000, right? Like that would be a standard yeah. standard video. And uh, I have to smile because the only time we've ever hit those kind of numbers was like 10 years ago when we hired John Freer in the cube and he put us on a, a spike TV channel somewhere, right? And we got like, we got like, you know, um, a million and a half views, but they were all uh, children watching cartoons or something, right? Yeah, so that's why whenever we see these views, I always do the double click, right? So how long do people engage with the videos? And in average, I mean, we we found that in a Zoom written world, uh, the, the the right time, right length of a, an assets is like 35, 40 minutes. And uh, of these 40 minutes, in average, people watch 12, 13 minutes, which is a lot. And, and then we look at how many people actually watch the whole thing. And so the, those numbers tell us that tell us that there is a lot of uh, interest in multi-cloud and what uh, we're doing with our cross-cloud service strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I will do a shout out to the URL. It's actually on VMware.com's website front page above the fold, just below the Explore banner. There's a now streaming July multi-cloud briefing and yours truly, Vittorio, is there on the picture. And if you click on that, it takes you to a long URL. But uh, just go to VMware.com's front page and uh, you get to go watch that session. It was an excellent session. And I I love the blog where you actually give... uh, view of all the speakers and their agenda. So it's a really, you guys have matured on how you're presenting these stuff, recruiting speakers, giving bios to speakers, uh, really nice job. That's, a, that's an interesting thing that also that we learned almost by mistake one time with this briefing that we had a lot of different speakers. And then after we looked at it, so, oh my God, we, we invited too many people. Uh, is it gonna be confusing? Are people gonna be distracted? 
the opposite was true, which makes sense, right? You know, you're looking at something, you see multiple people coming in, different perspective, different cadence, different accents. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now we, we have I always start to put together a, a nice roster of people that have something to say, and just we force them to say it quickly so that uh, we move fast and people stay engaged. Yeah, I, I, I tell people that when uh, people come and say, hey, how did you do so many podcasts? And I'm like, well, first of all, John Troyer started it. I just picked it up after he got it going. But the key to doing a lot, like getting good at something is that you say, it's just you start and you're miserable. But then over time, you just get better and better and better. And pretty soon you get really good at it. And that's what I would say with the multi-cloud multi briefings is I look them now versus, you know, when we started well, three quarters ago or whatever it was, when, maybe a year ago now, um, it's, they've gotten really good. Yep. Yeah, no, I make it, you make a good point. I think it's <clears throat> sometimes I refer to people that don't know how to do these things as uh, marketing zombies because these days and age, there's no excuse not to be able to get your word out uh, to your audience in a very genuine way because people buy from people people listen to people they want to know who's behind and too many i think that too many executives these days have people managing their presence online and you can right. tell from a mile away you know yes. that's i saw somebody is going to go on name from uh, a, a, a big company and i saw his tweets and his, his that's not him i i work for that guy that's not him. <laughs> yeah, you, you can tell that. I tell people that. I'm like, well, social media, first off, is called social, which means it's got to be you talking to people, right? Like, and then people talking back to you, right? It's not a, it's not a marketing website where you just push out things. So really cool. We got to shift gears because we don't have you for that long. Um, I wanted to ask you like in the multi-cloud maturity space here, you know, now people are talking about it. I hear vendors starting to get on board with this and this idea that, you know, like really I am going to use multiple cloud vendors now. I am starting to look at architecting this because I'm beginning to realize that this is no different than trying to run things on an HP machine and a Dell machine that, that all of a sudden you need a virtualization layer. So you didn't have to worry about the hardware going bad. And you look at the clouds and the maturity of the clouds. And as these mature, the clouds mature, you realize that having a layer that lets you move across these clouds and be, be independent of the clouds is actually pretty interesting. But there's also just a lot of plumbing that goes on there too. So where would you judge the industry is now, You know, since I think I maybe talked to somebody from multi-cloud six, seven months ago, how do you think it's going? I think that we are, in terms of using it and starting to feel the pain, we are advanced. Because uh, three quarters of our customers are using multi-cloud, 83% of them are looking for more consistencies. Uh, people see the challenges with security, with training and all that. In terms of people moving from, I think that the stages of, of uh, multi-cloud, I, I like to joke about it, that is like um, uh, denial. Right. Uh, I can just not, stay on AWS, leave me alone, right? Like, yeah, I just went. Then euphoria. They go, oh my God, look how quickly we build application. Look how, you know, we don't have to run our hardware, buy, oh, that's great. And then it's, uh, they start to realize that the, the challenges and they go like in the depression. And then finally, eventually they come out and say, okay, now I need to get smart about this stuff, right? And so right now, I think a minority of customers uh, were very, very early in the number of customers that are looking at uh, multi-cloud and say, okay, Got it. This gives me competitive advantage. I see all these different capabilities for the hyperscaler, but 
Now I'm building this layer or I'm buying this layer on top that allows me to build an application once, deploy it anywhere. You know, once the applications are deployed, being able to monitor them, optimize them, manage them, secure them, uh, and so on and so forth. So, which is what we, the value proposition of VMware Cross Cloud Services. So I think we're very, very beginning. As usual, I think at VMware, we have a track record of staying ahead of the trends. And I think uh, we saw multi-cloud coming early on. We were kind of busy still with uh, being so successful with private cloud that you know we let AWS and, and others sure. you know that first great success, of course. But I think now we started to see the, the challenges of multi-cloud, and we made the investment needed yeah. to solve that problem because that problem is not cheap to solve. You need a company like right. VMware to, to do. Well, the other thing that I realized, and maybe this is an aha moment for me, aha moment for me, was that the reason we didn't get into that business, the the hyperscaler business, is that it's a different business. It's running data centers. It's running massive data centers. It's a hardware business, right? It is a physical plant business. Somebody like Amazon who has physical plants, who's really optimized at running physical plants really efficiently, hiring low cost labor, right? You know, everything you need to run something very efficiently, a plant is a different business then once that matures and you need a software layer that goes across them, that's where we 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 shine in that space of building enterprise software, where we didn't shine building data centers across the globe operational, operationally. And so I felt like it was a more natural fit for VMware to sit on top of the physical plant manufacturers, right? The hyperscalers versus uh, be, being in the physical business, but then offering a software layer on top that connects things like we did. We didn't make Dell Service servers, we didn't make HP servers, we didn't make EMC storage, we built the software that layered on top of all that. So I, I feel like for me, this is a better spot for us. I never thought about it that way. I always thought about the level of abstraction and all that. And I never articulated the way you did, which makes uh, total sense. Uh, total yeah. All right. So now, okay, so we get, we're getting maturity. Everybody's getting on the multi-cloud bandwagon from us. Let's talk about, uh, you know, John Furrier and the cube and his super cloud concept. What is, articulate, what does, what is, is that just, is that multi-cloud and, but it feels like it's multi-cloud, but also neutral vendor kind of scenario. What do you see going on there? Oh, here's the, the, the taxonomy. The taxonomy is that multi-cloud is the architecture. Right. Multi-cloud is what people are going to be using for the next 15, 20 years. Then, we, I believe that we were the first to identify the need for an abstraction layer that we call cross-cloud services. Right. And incidentally, uh, you know, the good news is that we were the first, but we're not the only one. And so you see a bunch of companies out there touting similar concepts, like the, uh, even competitors who are like uh, AshiCorp, right? They're touting common management across clouds. And you have uh, Snowflake, you know, common data layers uh, across all the clouds. And so the, the Cube have been covering, Dave is a brilliant analyst, I think, you know, because he has the insight as the end the data to back it up. I really like his coverage. So I was um, doing research and running to their stuff. And they've been talking about the super cloud, which is, you know, this layer, layer of abstraction that sits across every cloud and allows customers to make sense of, of multi-cloud. And so uh, working together, we came up with this idea of, um, because they said, look, the industry is moving this way, 
uh, we were talking to Ashka, we're talking to Intuit, we're talking to Databrick, we're talking to all these companies that are, that are seeing the same challenges and bringing a solution out there. And so on um, August the 9th, we, they're going to host an industry event that they call SuperCloud 2022, where they're going to bring together an incredible roster of presenters that are going to talk about uh, the challenges of multi-cloud and the emergence of this uh, super cloud that we call VMware Cross-Cloud Services. Nice. I'm looking up the URL as we speak on that one, the super cloud uh august 9th 2022 super cloud uh it looks like it's going to be a virtual event is that the is that the is that the play yeah it's it's live uh it's a virtual event it's live from their studios uh from 9 a.m to 4 p.m uh and we have uh the agenda basically starts at nine with an opening and kind of a a, a you know a keynote type of thing of, 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 of session to set the stage. Then we have a fireside chat. We're going to have Greylock, our good uh, good friend Jerry Chang from Greylock and, and other in a, in a fireside chat. Then they're going to talk about the open super cloud. Right? If the super cloud emerges, do we need eventually to have standards to make right. all this work? Then there's going to be an analyst panel. Then there's going to be a, a session on security. There's going to be one around um, the um, uh, um, Kubernetes, and is, is Kubernetes the, the proper lingua franca for uh, for the uh, for the super cloud? Then we're going to talk about architecture architectural model, and and then there's going to be a close. So it's a great uh, agenda, and the, the speakers is just like phenomenal, like Greylock, uh, Confluent. LastPass, of course, VMware, um, uh, Snowflake, Intuit, Oracle, uh, Couchbase, AshiCorp, Atlassian, Sky High Security. I, it's just phenomenal. So this um, really is a play for the vendors providing solutions to actually come together and have discussions around, you know, the interconnectivity, what's the definition of the super cloud over time, and uh, how these things play together. And, and then, as you say, like, even the idea of spinning up some standards bodies to build the necessary standards to make all of this, all these solutions interop interoperate. So it sounds like solution people having conversations around how to make this happen. Yeah, we are looking at getting some customers there. It's just, uh, I think that the Cube wants to make this a quarterly or every six months type of event. And so I think this this one may turn out to be just setting the stage. What are some luminaries in the field across a variety of different vendors, how they share a common vision of the future. And then we're going to bring the customers uh, maybe in the next event. But I think they're still trying to get the problem is that again, there's so much you want to squeeze in that. Um, yeah, and it and it and it backs right. It's almost like a precursor event to explore as well, right? So it's kind of like a nice thing they're doing, fit in this time slot of before explore, right? For us, and I know we're just participating in it, but it's kind of like, yeah, the, how do you get another day in somebody's calendar during during the August, September, October timeframe. So, I know, it's, uh, it's, uh, but, but I, we, uh, we thought the timing was great because uh, this allows us to show the market that this is not VMware, just VMware uh, touting this uh, cross-cloud services solutions and the, the challenges of multi-cloud, but it's a bunch of different uh, luminaries in the industries. And then we can hit the hit number go to market uh, a month later with what is our solution and new uh, announcement around 
the cross-cloud services. So that's kind of timing is perfect. So ticking through, I know this is just a change of topic, but, uh, but ticking through the cloud vendors that we uh, support these days, right? Uh, Alibaba Cloud, Oracle Cloud, IBM, uh, Azure, Google, and Amazon. Am I missing any of the other ones? It's like I almost feel like I need to have, be on a mail pinger for the number of clouds that, that we sign up now and then. So I'm just wondering. Yeah, we that, have six you know, major one, right, that you right. mentioned. But then there's 4,500 uh, partners that run uh, our cloud. Um, yeah, like Rackspace and others who offer solutions that are running the VMware uh, Cloud yeah, Foundation we, stack, right? Right now, we are really the only kind of cloud vendors that allows other people to run our bits, right? So um, it's, a it's a strong value proposition, both from a partner's perspective or from customers, because if you are um, if you're using our, our stack on-prem for a while and you're now moving to the cloud and you're in Europe or in Asia Park, you need the local, the, uh, the um, sovereign cloud type of uh, solution, our partners can provide it with the same stack on both sides, which is compelling. And then, and then the, the plus stack kind of plays into this because then you get like a console where you're able to watch what's happening with your, your uh, VMware Cloud Foundation instances across multi-clouds. We SaaS service that. So you just you know, point your browser, plug in your vSphere connectors, and away you go, right? So I feel like there's a piece of that. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love our engineering team. It's the pragmatism, right? to be able to go to a customer and say, it doesn't matter when you are, where you are in your journey to the cloud, we can add value every step, every step of the way. We can help you turn your, your uh, on-prem into a cloud. We can help you bring the management in the cloud that we run it for you, we update it for you, we start getting that. You can start to move some, some uh, workloads to the cloud using VMware Cloud and still have that common management. And you can also go all the way. That's the, the, the story that hasn't been told as, as forcefully or as clearly yet is how committed VMware is also to native cloud. So we we don't need to run our hypervisor to add uh, value because uh, with Tanzu, with um, the management service mesh uh, and cloud health, we give you, I, th I think it's the most comprehensive way of building and managing any application on any cloud native. Yeah, you, you definitely you definitely have that. Uh, I know that we're running up on the time before I think uh, we're going to get uh, our next guest in here, uh, Pam uh, Takahama. She's Senior Director of Cross-Cloud Solutions. But before I let you go, um, I did want to ask, because we stream on vBarbecue, uh, do you ever get to do any barbecue uh, in, in the land of, are you in Northern California still? Are you still yeah, in the Bay Area? All right, yeah. so in San Jose. Well, I just I just came back from a gigantic RV trip uh, where I barbecue a lot. And uh, um, now I'm not an expert, I'm, I'm more of a baker, but uh, as I uh, spent the last 20 years of my life in America, I, I pick up some barbecuing and my, my go-to barbecuing is uh, very simple, like a pepper and a lemon and uh, four minutes per side. Oh, that's pepper, uh, that's lemon, uh, and what are you making? What do you What are you doing on it's, the? Uh, usually, it, I do um, uh, prime rib. Prime. Oh, that's new. Prime rib. I'm gonna have to take that. I was like, I was waiting for you to say you can make Italian bread on your barbecue, and you put. Uh, well, I do. I I do. I have I have made pizza on the barbecue, which is uh, 
yeah, I can actually do it with the, the pizza stone. Yeah. But given that I have a brick oven. I yeah. Why? Well, yeah. That's that's silly, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Of course but you yeah. have a brick oven. Do you have a brick oven inside or outside? Outside. All right. Thank God. I was going to wait for you. I was going to, I was, I was expecting you to tell me you have one built into your kitchen, whoa, like uh, El Forneo or something, right? And, <laughs> I thought about it. There's a great uh, company that really makes this beautiful brick oven that you can put inside, but I never got to it. Never, never got to it. Um, so as you come through the back half of the year, we always ask this, these guests that when you come into the back half of the year, uh, what, you know, if, if everything went perfectly, what would be your outcome for the rest of the rest of the year? Have great VMware explorers, uh, pick up some extra customers. Um, where do you see us headed? What are your challenges? I think that my biggest thing is that I am comfortable. I've been being a VMware a long time, breaking new glass. I made making breaking new ground with data utilization. I remember when I was here the first time around, going around and telling people that they can virtualize um, SAP and uh, Oracle. When people say you you better be crazy to yeah, do that, right, and right. I remember. I'm comfortable yeah. with that, but I have to say, with multi cloud, we've been pushing this narrative, empowered by what we hear from customers for a few years, and so. To me, this year going with the, the super cloud event and then explore, uh, the perfect end of the year is to start to see the mainstream analysts turning around and say, yeah, there's something there, there's a new market, there's a new way of doing it. Because look, I love analysts like the next guy. But at the end of the day, the people that are driving the industries are great vendors listenings to innovative customers that's how that and then the analysts come along right and so i think seeing the super cloud event coming together with all these great customer um partners uh makes me hopeful for a, an end of the year when people start to talk about the super cloud or whatever they're going to call this market as a real thing that is going to create the next uh, right. big wave of innovation for our customers and growth for us Excellent, excellent. So your goal would be for the the analysts the, to come out and give us a quadrant and stick us over in the make it an official uh, quadrant and then stick us over in the leading spot on the quadrant as always. Right. That would be nice. That'd be nice. Uh, Vittorio, thanks a lot for coming and spending a half an hour with us. I appreciate it. Uh, go get yourself some uh, good barbecue for lunch and uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. And thanks, uh, always a pleasure. Yeah. Pam, Pam, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, let me do a little bit of an introduction here. Pam Takahama has uh, Takahama has joined us, Senior Director of Cross Cloud Solutions. Uh, welcome to the Community Podcast. Um, I, don't know if you've, I don't know if you've ever been on uh, on the Community Podcast. I don't or think not. so. Eric, so right. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for thanks for the invitation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I find the whole space super interesting. Super cloud. Uh, uh, the cube and the, the guys that are you know creating that and even what we're doing creating a whole market out of this software solution that we've been building for a while so it's super cool to have you on we always start with uh you know introducing we are a community podcast we like the community to get to know you and you know spend a little time listening to who you are most people are on itunes listen to us as a mp3 so you don't really have to worry we only get like 100 people look on the camera uh, but what i would say is why don't you tell us a little bit about 
who you are, how long have you worked in the IT, in, IT industry? What has been your career arc, you know, since you maybe, you know, graduated high school, whatever it is, and tell us how you got here. You get like a three minute elevator pitch of how you, who are you sure. and what do you do? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I've been in it forever. Forever. Right. Yeah, exactly. I remember, you know, that we used to call them compact toaster ovens, right? Right. And um, uh, now they call them air fryers, right? Like, <laughs> That's exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, I really, what, what I would say is I cut my teeth at Microsoft. So I was uh -huh. at Microsoft in the days where we would literally um, um, chauffeur Bill Gates around with us. Nice. So, you know, this goes back to the 90s. I was there for 10 years. Um, and it was just an incredibly exciting time to be in the industry. Things were just burgeoning. Microsoft was definitely not a household name. Worked in a variety of marketing-related roles there at, at Microsoft, and then just really, you know, over the years, um, you know, just kind of went in and out. And you know, I had a couple of kids, sat out a couple of years, but really couldn't stay away much longer. Went back in with a bunch of um, a few ex-Microsofties. Sure. We wanted to start something around um, foundations and nonprofit worlds. So did a little bit of startup work. And then really continued back into the corporate world. I worked at companies like Autodesk, Riverbed, Blackbot. And then, you know, I'm what you would call a boomerang employee here at VMware. I was with VMware back in the business unit some years ago, came, came back, such a great company, and I've been here in the last seven years. So <clears throat> with that said, I've always considered myself a marketing generalist. I've worked in so many different roles, Eric, in marketing. And now um, really love leading our content and messaging team around our portfolio and industry. So there you have it. That's neat. That's neat. I got to say that uh, I came out of college and went to work at IBM in Boca Raton, where we had hired Microsoft to do an operating system. And this is back when they were still doing MS-DOS versus DOS versus uh, OS2. Yeah, OS2 <laughs> and the OS, the, yeah, the 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 ps2 what was the name no that's that's the what was oh the, no the ps yeah the ps1 yeah, ps1 right? ps2 and then there was the the i i worked a little bit on the uh, pc junior which was the little chiclet keyboard one and uh, so i spent time at boca raton in ibm until then i moved on as well and then ended up coming to california but always fun to see somebody that lived through you know the microsoft days and the early days oh, yeah. was, uh, i kicked myself for not just going to microsoft and working there because i would have probably been worth a billion dollars by now because no I, yeah i drifted around on the fringes of all that and never got a clue that i should just go move to redmond and you know work there i was i was living in boca raton florida and i'm like ah i love yeah. florida beaches why do i want to move somewhere up north where it's cold and you know rainy? i know i was in northern california and, and um, they wanted me to move up north as well i went up there they actually accepted a job we were looking for an apartment and then i just got cold feet and decided i wanted to stay in california but in any case, great, yeah. great time with that company right. and yeah, so, happy to. So in the yeah. multi-cloud space, we got done talking to Victoria, which is super high level, Victoria of super high level concept, uh, classic marketer. But when we come to you, you're you're building content. You're trying to build, you know, content for people that are digesting our products. Um, what are you thinking about for Explore this year? Have you guys put together content for it? Uh, and what is the kind of the summary of what type of content you're building? Yeah. So yeah, we're putting together a ton of content um, for Explorer. 
So we, you know, there are eight big keynotes at the Explore session, and we're developing the content for four of them. And the reason is, Eric, is, you know, we really want to tell our story to the market, right? And we want to be consistent, right? It's not like we're zigzagging inside and out of our story or messages. It's been pretty consistent. Our go-to-market has been very much focused on this notion of it's a multi-cloud world. Customers are there. They've embraced it in significant ways. And it's, it's, it's proven to really boost the business in, in many ways, right? Helping increase revenue, employee experience, ability to move faster and be more agile. But with multi-cloud comes some new challenges, right? Around security, around management across different clouds, uh, around networking and performance and, and more. So with that said, we want to bring our story around how can VMware help customers in this multi-cloud era, I mean, multi-cloud is not new, right? We're not, we're not, we're not delivering um, and adding to the multi-cloud cloud. We're actually trying to simplify multi-cloud for our customers. They have embraced it, so how can we make it simpler and better? And how can they derive the ultimate ROI out of their multi-cloud strategies and investments? So, with that said, our keynotes are centered around. What is our story around cross-cloud services? How can our portfolio of solutions really help address the multi-cloud world? And then we're going to take three of the keynotes and dive deeper into modern apps. How can we help customers embrace the cloud-native world? How can they build, develop, and manage these cloud-native apps faster in, in the public cloud? Secondly, cloud transformation. Look, you know, cloud, 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 cloud. We talk about it all day long, but the reality is many customers are still in the private cloud. Many customers, you know, for different reasons. It could be that app is uh, needs to stay secure and centered in the private cloud. It may be that moving to the public cloud is, is just proves to be too hard, right? So the cloud transformation keynote is how do you embrace this dual world, right? with your apps across everything from a private to a public to the edge environments. So we'll talk about that, you know, the challenges customers are facing, how can they accelerate if and when they want to move to a true uh, public cloud environment with their apps. And then lastly, we'll touch on our, in our fourth keynote on end user computing solutions, because at the end of the day, right, it's your employees um, that are really driving your initiatives? How can you make them happier? How can you give them the tools they need when they need it? So quite a bit of content around but, Keynote. Yeah. In addition, um, we have a couple of industry workshops because you know when, it, when push comes to shove, in terms of the business, um, you know, we really want to help customers understand more specifically, how can we help, how can we help their line of business managers? How can we help some of their um, executives make smarter decisions around you know, IT. And so in order to do that, right, it's really getting into the bones and the details of their industries. What's driving healthcare? What's driving patient experiences? You know, how do you address this world of retail in this new world or remote students? The world has changed, right, in many, 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 many ways. Yes, right. So the workshops um, related on the industries will get down to more business discussion um, related to industry. So that and, and 
excuse me, and lots more coming up in VMware. Yeah, I have a couple, you know, thoughts or comments around uh, the agenda. I get deeper dives, uh, the cool, the keynotes, the four keynotes, and the the deeper dives. But one of the things that you said tipped me off, which is like, there's a lot of people that you know. Maybe like myself, I run vCenter, a server San Jose, you know, I have vSphere, I have, you know, 50 VMs that are doing various things. And like, I'm not really, I've been to, I have AWS instance, right? And this is just a small version of this problem set, which is like, but when I go there, I get overcharged. I, you know, I'm paying for services that I aren't using because when I shut down a VM, it still charges me because I'm using storage and I get these bills. And so like, there seems to be like a trade-off between running cloud, running multi-cloud expenses, and where do I, as a customer, figure out where that threshold is? When does it make sense to stay where I'm at, right? That, that it's not gonna be worth the investment to try. And then I could argue that you could even say, there, if you're only gonna have two servers, don't even put vSphere on it, just run the two servers, put your Linux on it and be happy, right? Like you don't need to cross over to vSphere until you get 10 or 20 VMs. And then when you get, then once I get 50 or 100 VMs and I have dynamic workloads, Maybe I should accelerate, uh, augment that with cloud. So there is, I feel like there needs to be that roadmap of it's okay to run your own data center and here's when you want to do that. Yeah. Then there's this threshold that you might cross where multi-cloud starts to make sense. Absolutely. I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the nail there, Eric. I mean, the reality is, you know, a couple of things. Um, one, that's where, you know, an organization like VMware, right? We call ourselves sort of the Switzerland of the clouds, right? We have solutions that span across it all, private, the different public clouds, right. the edge, right? So we're really helping customers make smarter decisions because you're absolutely right. Like I said earlier, there are lots of customers that still have their apps in the private cloud for very good reasons, right? right. Now, right. it could be that, you know, it's, it's related around security and compliance. It could be that it's challenging. So at our Explore conference, you know, there's a range of content that will be available from the higher level, helping uh, think about the business at large, thinking about industry trends, into the deeper dives in terms of what do I do, when, where, and why, right? right. So you know, you you have an app um, in your private um, data center, maybe that's where it just belongs, and that's okay. You know, there's so much um, dialogue about cloud. I mean, the reality is. Private cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, they're all relevant today. They really are. So it may feel like it's legacy because it's in the private data center, but it's not, right? right? It's, it is true that many customers still have their apps there uh, for lots of different reasons. So yeah. Explore is, um, you know, one of the reasons we renamed the conference um, from VMworld to Explore is um, to not steep it just in our past, just into our core. You know, we, we wanted to rename it so it had a, a broader appeal because customers, there's a wide range of customers, a wide range of initiatives that they're thinking about. And with our portfolio and breadth of solutions, we can help customers in different parts of their journey. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it, it just, transition to another question I have, which uh, I think, it, which is, so we got cloud, but we also talk about SaaS, right? And we just talked about vSphere plus 7 plus, that is kind of a SaaS dashboard that runs things and then, you know, helps you manage SaaS licenses and SaaS mm -hmm. versus subscription. 
what is uh, what is the industry saying or what is our customers saying about this notion of transitioning to like a subscription SaaS model and how are we doing there? What's the messaging that we're taking to people? And then once you get there, does that allow me to get into cloud easier if I transition into kind of the licensing model of charging me as I go kind of scenario? How do you see this being accepted by our customers? Yeah. Um you know, if you think about it, you know, in our day-to-day life, right, you know, outside of our workplace, we live in a subscription world. That's just the world we live in. Think about, you know, your cable service. Think about your streaming service. No, I have stacks of CD DVDs and I I have, I have a wall that I'm never going to Netflix. I'm just going to stay with DVDs forever. I mean, it's, it's just the way of life. I mean, yeah, I had to hunt for a DVD player the other day. And I'm like, I don't think I even have a working one left, right? Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, what about those Blu-rays? Anyway, so, you know, outside of our work world, we live in a subscription world, right? Whether we like it or not. Um, for me personally, when I think about that, just set aside work for a second, I'm I'm fine with it. It's just the world we live in. Where it does scare me a little sometimes is it's very easy to lose track of. I mean, I can't tell you, I cannot name every single subscription I have to everything I have. Right, whether it's audible. I mean, there's so many out. That's just right. the way we run our lives. So when it comes to um, you know, the corporate world and the shifting patterns of how we package and, and price, I think that's it's the inertia, right? We're used to living in this right. world of ELAs, in this world of perpetual, you know, uh, revenue. It that's where it's tricky because the reality is you're still getting the great innovative products you come to expect. And in fact, in a subscription SaaS world, you get them faster and ultimately, you know, it's just going to be easier. Yeah. I think it's just understanding what does this mean to me? You become a little bit blinded, not literally in terms of not knowing vendors, not sharing what's going on. It's just more, you don't know, right? You don't know. How do I track this? What does it mean to my bottom line? How do I know what's getting used? And, how do I know how much I might get charged or if that's going to spike? So I think it's the not knowing more than anything. But let's face it. I mean, companies, uh, software companies have moving, been moving in this direction for many, many, many years. Um, so, yeah. You know, I mean, I think I, I think you hit the point, which is there is challenges, but if you overcome those challenges, there's a lot of benefits to it, right? The challenges are budgeting, trying to figure out what you've exactly. got, where, where, how much. Mm-hmm. You, now, in the end, it's still kind of cheaper, right? I look at my dad used to say this, you know how you know you're making money, Eric? Well, you, you look at the bank account at the end of the year, and if it's bigger than it was the last year, that's how you know. You can count <laughs> it all the way, and you can try to keep spreadsheets and everything, but the truth is, and I feel that way about SaaS services a little bit, like I have have staff services, but I look and my overall cost, even though I'm not managing them properly, I'm still saving money. It's still cheaper, right? Than it was before when I'd have to go buy servers and do things, but it's still very unnerving to not be able to know what's actually going on. And you have to look at the hard costs and you have to look at the soft costs, right? right? Because eventually as you get more comfortable with this pricing model, right? You're just going to think less, less, and less, and less each time you know things come up for renew or these big contracts come into play. That's a lot of time and energy. Right. So yes, I think ultimately you know you were not obviously the first company to go in this route. Luckily, we're we're riding this 
wave and, and customers are used to buying this way from large enterprise software vendors like ourselves. So, so there is a little bit of work for the IT practitioner, our audience that listens to these podcasts is that there is some work in transitioning license management and order processing in order to move to SaaS, right? There is some upfront sure. work that needs to happen Absolutely. in order to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But then, uh, yeah, all right. The other thing is I will tell a story like um, people forget that when the servers reach their end of life, the three years, you have to unrack them and put them in a pile and dispose of them somehow, right? And the, at Sun, when we used to do this, we used to have to have giant mountains mm -hmm. of servers in the corners, right? And we have to call yeah. clean sweeps, right? Where they'd come through, we'd put them in the bottom of stairwells and they'd come through and pick up all the old gear and sell them for scrap metal or whatever. And, and what you realize is that as you move into the SaaS world, you're not needing to decommission hardware and put them in stacks. Somebody does that in the cloud, but you, us as IT practitioners, don't need to be doing that anymore. Right. right. And, and then right. there are these savings, not only in maybe license costs or consumption, Absolutely. because you're only paying for it, but you're yep. also saving money in needing to spend Saturday afternoon unracking okay. machines and putting them in the corner somewhere and You're putting them on carts. Right. So it is an interesting, uh, but it is, I think you hit it right on the head. It's unnerving because if you don't have good visibility into everything, it's scary to know that something could happen that you could be overcharged or charged, you know, if like right. somebody forgets to, we've had the experts have called us and uh, they left something running for two or three months on a, on a, on a one of our SAS air, right. air at the right. time. And they're crying because it cost them $12,000. They didn't have the money. So there's a little bit of a, a nervousness about it as yeah. because you have these things that are not controllable which i think is why having uh you know our multi-cloud services in there gives you that single pane of manageability which i think is mm -hmm. actually nice to have yes yeah agreed yeah. Um, yeah. I know that uh, you, let's see, let's see, uh, let's see, uh, I got, well, another, how is the uh, industry acting to transition? We did that. Um, the barbecue? No, 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 we're not ready for barbecue yet. Um, <laughs> VCF, VMware Cloud Foundation, right? And Rackspace and, you know, these, these traditional, what do we have, like 40 or 50, you know, traditional rack vendors that offer me this type of service how are they coming along with regard to the hyperscalers and you know now we have multi-cloud services are they on board with the the whole transition you know to uh multi-cloud easy because to me some to some degree i would think if i were rack space or some of these others i'd want to be super sticky and not let you leave once i got you into my into my cohab environment like uh where is the rest of our traditional uh vcf industry moving are they moving along with this journey no i think it's like anything else i mean including vmware right we all have to evolve to stay relevant in in the high tech space right i mean you, you if you it's to call tech you, for a reason i guess right yeah if you stay static right it's it's very hard to survive so our partners have been great, very enthusiastic, very interested in what we're doing. I get pinged tons, right, from our, our community of, of partners and our ecosystem out there. So I think folks are, um, are you know, really understand the reality of the market. They also understand the reality of, um, like I said, you know, like we've been talking about, not everything's going to move every you know to one yeah, place right. this, this is not a one one 
view only of, of what's going to happen, right? It's a hybrid world. Right. So it, I think it goes back to the customer, really understanding what your customer is really ultimate, what outcome are they truly looking for and being prepared, right? To serve them in various ways. So I right. think that, that to me is the ultimate um, trick of survival here is if you understand what your customer needs and you're prepared as a company to address that need well, and sometimes what they need may be what you can offer them. And that's okay too. You have to right. be comfortable with that. Right. But I think if our partners and even ourselves continue to be that trusted partner, that's, that's the key there. Yeah. I think that sometimes I get so hyped up or at least in marketing we do on everything that's new that we forget that the bulk of everybody's still completely happy, you know, running the way they're running and that, that, yeah, there are some cases where we're going to move a 30% of our workload, mm -hmm. but that, that doesn't mean that the 80 to 70% of the workload still doesn't need to have new features and continue. And it's just this big arc of, of solutions that are moving along. And right. we tend to get so caught up in the next wave of what the new cool thing is that we forget that it's an industry, there's customers, there's huge investments, and that it all just moves forward at a, exactly. a stable pace. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's funny. I just went into, um, believe it or not, I still shop at Best Buy to, into brick and mortar. But what I noticed is that um, I don't know if they've changed their model, but I used to go in there and you couldn't find anyone that could really give you deep, you know, good yeah, knowledge on anything. Yeah. Nothing. No, but I did notice because I was looking for a new router that I actually could talk to a rep that gave me great advice and actually knew the product pretty well. And, and he pointed me to something that something else, some alternative that I was looking at just because he could help me understand the feature set. And I really, really appreciated that because it wasn't about, let me sell you what we have. It was more about, let me understand what you're trying to do. Right. And I can then recommend. And I think I just, again, it goes back to, every company. Yeah. I, I look at that same thing. I've seen Best Buy do that, which is focus on the experience and customer service and what you're trying to get when you come to a brick and mortar and then doing that really well. I think before the pandemic, uh, the movie theater started to get that right where Netflix was putting them all out of business. And so all of a sudden they put big seats in, right. And they made it super comfortable. And like, I can't do that in my living room. I do not have room for big lazy boy yeah. things that I could sit back and just relax and enjoy a movie and ultimate comfort. And they did that and the business started to pick back up because they had found a way to offer value and transition into what we were you know what we wanted uh, as an experience for them and i yeah. feel like every company has to do that a little bit right where they have exactly. to if they're the if the, they're the vcf vendors they'll probably finding things that customers need then they can offer that and give them value it's funny eric we used to call that the popcorn so at microsoft it was sell them the popcorn which was sort of the, the yep. surrounding extraneous, whether it's services, right? Or maybe right. it's that extra, you know, whatever they yeah, might Yeah, do. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 what's the, the British, the British movie, uh, I forget the, the one that was on the Netflix show that they turned into movies with all the, oh, the castle with the, oh gosh, I remember the show. Everybody will know that show. They, they were listening to the podcast will know uh, the British UK set in the 20s and 30s, Downton Abbey. There we go. So oh. Downton Abbey, I went and watched the Downton Abbey movie where we went in and they had they had service. They had like uh, valets that would bring you food you could order. They had the laid back chairs, but then you could put your order in. You could like, they not only sold you popcorn, they sold you like 
food, right? And then yeah. they delivered it and it was, uh, you know, and alcohol, I think too, right? So there's, there, there is- I gotta have your, you have to have your uh, cocktail, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing. <laughs> All right, now we're at the end of the hour. We got three minutes left. So we'll, we'll ask you the common questions. Are you on social media, Pam? How do people follow you? Oh, gosh, you know. Um... No, she's like, no, don't bother me. I'm just a marketer. Leave me alone. I worked at Microsoft. I made my billions already. So now I just sit and I, I do uh, this. No, that's a reason. So, so clearly my kids are all over social media. But I have to say I'm a little old-fashioned in that way. I'm a little more reserved in that way in, in, in you know, my general approach in life. So uh, you won't find me too much front and center in, in, in social media. Occasionally I may pop in Victoria, we just talked to you. So you're, just so you're old school. So I can just, I just tell them your phone number. It's 650-462-2525. Give Pam a call. She's old school. She's not going to be on social media, Twitter. No, just give her a call for that number right there. 650-462-2525. And then my other question is, uh, because we are now at the last two minutes uh, and it is lunchtime here in in, uh, California uh, and we do podcast uh, where our, you can watch and we'll look at what Pam looks like at V barbecue, youtube.com slash V barbecue, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E. Go look at her, see what she looks like. So you can say to hello to her at VM world and tell her you saw on the podcast. Um, Barbecue. What uh, do you get to barbecue? Uh, and if you do or do not, uh, what is your favorite or not favorite barbecue? That that I do. So for my fiance's um, birthday a couple years ago, I bought him a um, green egg. Oh, my and wife was I just can, saying it's it's only the rich people in California that have green eggs, and I'm like, I don't think I, so. I grew up with a green egg. Yeah. So my father, um, it's green egg. It used to be called a komodo. It's a Japanese thing. So I grew up with a green egg. Loved it. He loves to barbecue. So I thought, you know, we're just going to go for it. This is during the pandemic because that's all we did was cook, right? In terms of we never went out. We just cooked a lot. So we introduced the green egg in our family and just haven't turned back. And we we barbecue two or three times a week. Love it. Have perfected it in every way. Um, Yeah. So we, we have fun with it. And what is your favorite thing to smoke or cook? Oh my gosh! You do pork. Do you do? I think I love those little pork uh, sausages. So that I we do that. pork ribs a lot. Salmon collars. It's a little nice. tricky doing uh, fish on the on the barbecue, but right. I would say pork is probably the common. There's a one of my favorite recipes comes from a, a restaurant called Momofuku, and they do this. It's called a balsam um, pork butt, um, which is incredible. Yeah. You put it on there for five or six hours. Nice, yummy. I did smoke fish on my, a Traeger. I have a Traeger, and I did smoke fish on. Oh, okay, so you're and, incredible. Uh, and we did okay. like four or five hours. And my father, growing up, used to buy smoke fish, and it was yeah. it was in a contain it was in a plastic wrap, you know, with oil, you know. And it was mm-hmm. it was it must have been super expensive. We weren't that wealthy as a kid growing up, and so we would get little pieces of the smoke fish, and we made this smoke yellowtail, and. Uh, Man, oh. it took me back. Yeah, it took me back just to the yeah. same. Tastes the same. Salty. I think you brine it for like uh, overnight, right? So yeah. a lot of salt yeah. to it. Nice. So maybe that's why it was good. Tastes like bacon. But there you go, Pam. Yeah. Uh, Pam, thanks for coming and sharing Thank what we got going on with uh, MultiCloud and at VMworld Explore. I appreciate that. Um, everybody, go register VMware Explore. Uh, Pam Takahama, thanks for being here. 
Thank you so much. Yep. That was fun. I really okay. appreciate it. Me too. Uh, we'll see everybody again next week. I think we are going to have John Furrier uh, join us in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure who's on next week, but uh, we'll be on every week, Wednesday, 12 to 1. See you then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.